I think leadership is a lot like coaching from that perspective. And what I think at Nike really happened is the leaders there really encouraged you to push the envelope. So it's all good. Well, maybe it's maybe it's my afternoon voice. I don't know. Man, it's so husky and like rich. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish. Are you having some butterscotch candies before the recording? No, I I'm mm. eating sweetest fish if that counts. Um. So yeah, like with Monique, um, Monique Van Hummel is somebody that I worked with quite a bit. Um, when she was in sportswear and we were doing a lot of content around um, tech pack and um, a lot of their apparel looks as they were really kind of trying to like create their creative look and feel for their campaigns with their athletes that are on body with athletes. She's definitely networked with a lot of the folks um, who we've had on and is one of the in the wing women um, group as well. Um, so yeah, I think that we felt like, you know, there is a good amount of, um, crossover between some of the other guests that we've had. So I was thinking that she would be really great to have on. No, I agree. I think, uh, the big one was tech pack. Like you said, I mean, I think that was all hands on deck for every category at the time. Cause I remember that very well of like, which athlete were we going to focus on for which category and then how, like, you know. Are we going to do the photo shoots and how are we going to tell that story? So I'm excited to talk to her for sure about that a little bit and be able to kind of, you know, kind of pick her brain and how she like kind of managed everything. So, yeah. Oh, hi, Monique. No, not at all. I don't time. Um, John and I were just talking about golf. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite yeah. sport. It is, right? It's such a fun sport. Yeah, absolutely. When did you start playing golf, Monique? Um, I started playing probably unofficially, probably when I was 10. And then um, started playing competitively when I was 12. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you play in college then as well, Monique? No, it's probably my dad's dream, but... Um, I went to a girls' school and for, for high school, and they didn't have a team. And so um, I actually asked if I could play on the boys' team, and they said no. And um, so I was kind of stuck with, you know, playing with the North Texas PGA Junior Golf Association and playing in local and state tournaments through them in the summers. But, you know, I had the ambition to, to play in college, but I also wanted to have the, the fun college lifestyle too. Yeah, it's uh, managing the, the athlete lifestyle and the regular college lifestyle are two different worlds, that's for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. I had a friend who was actually on the SMU golf team, and she um, she quit after her first year. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's so funny. Like, Jesse and I were just saying, oh, man, you're our third guest that went to SMU. I know, crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and even worse is we all graduated with the same degree. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's it's great for the university, number one, but I think it just just truly, you know, um, tells the story of, like, there are great people that are coming out of that school and great creative-minded people. So I'm stoked. Yeah, absolutely. There are actually more people from SMU at Nike. So um, that, that has been always great to, to connect with people from there. For sure. <laughs> Smile. Well, awesome. Well. Yeah, well, first – Thank you for being a part of this. I mean, we're, Jesse and I are very excited to kind of just talk to you and, and be able to kind of, you know, let others know who you are, but, you know, why we're doing this and, you know, just lay it out there. Good well, content. Thank you. I'm very honored. Um, and as I've told you both, I'm, I'm very honored to be amongst the other speakers. Um, they come from a very high caliber. So, um I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> no, don't be. Don't be. Please. Everybody's, uh, the way we look at everybody has a unique story. Everybody's the same and, and we're just all in this together. So That's we're true. excited. We all have our own stories. <laughs> That's correct. Exactly. So let's, um, I just love to start kind of like, you know, we, we usually start with the collegiate experience and I've always just been really curious when people are kind of deciding where they, what their major is going to be, where they want to kind of take their college career. 
Um, when at what point when you were at SMU did you decide that advertising was what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's actually a really great question because advertising was not the direction I wanted to go. It was more of a forced um, direction in the sense that I always wanted to do marketing and wanted to go to the business school at SMU. Um, and for whatever reason, I wasn't so great in pre-cal and accounting. And so they kind of decided it for me. And, you know, marketing and advertising are a lot alike in that, in that way, um, where I feel like advertising is more the creative side. And, you know, back in the day, advertising was definitely very different from where it is now. And so I learned a lot of the, the basics, um, you know, from, from every perspective where advertising is, has completely evolved since then. But I still have a lot of the learnings that I, that I took from that. And I'm still very passionate about that aspect. I feel like I'm more of a creative marketing um, professional versus someone who's more like the, the analytical side of marketing from that perspective. And I think that kind of gives me a nice balance. I've, I've always loved the creative side, the storytelling opportunities. And um, I think that's really kind of why I'm very thankful that I did have that opportunity is to, to learn more about that side. So when you were, you know, you had decided that you wanted to get into marketing, what about marketing at that age really kind of like spoke to you? Like, how did that really like enter your, your young mind? You know, I have no idea how I wanted to do marketing. Um, I think I always loved connecting with people and I felt maybe that was a way of doing it because connecting with your consumers, understanding your consumers and really getting closer to their mindset. I think that's that's what spoke to me the most. I was definitely not a finance major by no means. Um, obviously, if I can't get through pre-cal that easily, that was not the right opportunity for me. Um, but I think marketing just, I think it kind of brought, you know, I, maybe the retail side of it kind of got me interested in marketing. Um, you know, just really interacting with your consumers and understanding their, their mindset and what they're interested in and, and how you can relate with them in different ways and talk to them in, in various opportunities. And I think that's kind of why maybe I dabbled in retail a little bit um, before really going into um, the workforce was to really understand kind of the dynamics from an in-store experience and how, you know, the sales teams are working with consumers from that point. And I think that's really kind of what took me to that direction a little bit more um, of wanting to, to do something like that. And um, I never thought this was the direction I would go, but, um, you know, retail has been kind of my, my story for the last 20 years. And, and I'll piggyback on that question that Jesse asked is, is a little bit is like, what, like, definitely retail was your kind of path in, in, in marketing in general. Um, was there a specific ad that kind of caught your eye or an experience at a specific retail store, um, that you experienced that made you want to go to that towards that path? Well, I'll be very honest. Nike has, has the best storytelling in ads. Um, you name it. Nike came up with it, especially back in the 80s and 90s. Um, it really resonated with, I think, kids and the culture of that time. Um, I think it was in 96. I can't remember exactly the year of it. Um, but, you know, about the girls aspect of, you know, girls wanting to play sports and being part of the leaders, that whole women's empowerment movement has kind of been coming along through that whole, those, those decades past. And I think, I think those are the things that I love about advertising is when you're connecting at a emotional level, um, you really are understanding um, that the companies are really resonating with you. And I think, in this day and day and age, especially with this pandemic, more and more consumers want brands to to feel like they're part of something, not that they're just selling their products. And I think that's something that Nike has always been great at. It's not about selling products; it's about selling an experience, a belief. And um, I think that's really why I resonated probably to to wanting to pursue a job at Nike um, when I first did back in 1996. So. Let's talk about that. Like once you were, um, you know, in your senior year at SMU and you're kind of starting to like 
think about what that next stage is, what that opportunity is, that first opportunity out of college. Can you talk about um, how that came about and, and what that was? Yeah, so I've come from a, an interesting background, probably from, from most people. Um, I was actually born in Holland. Um, I was an expat kid at the age of nine months old, moved to Belgium and then to Brazil and settled down in the U.S. and Dallas here when I was seven. And I didn't speak a lick of English, really. I knew how to say Jack and Sue ran up the hill kind of thing. And, um, you know, I... I graduated from SMU. My, my friends all moved away. I had friends still in college, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I want to do. I am completely lost. I didn't want to work um, in advertising. I didn't want to go into an agency life. I, I didn't. I just was completely lost. And the one thing that I had for me was the fact that I had a Dutch passport, and that was the golden ticket to, to get international experience. And I talked to my parents about it and said, you know, I think the only way that I'm going to stand out is if I'm going to take this passport and get a job over there and get some international experience, I'm going to stand above the rest of the people here in the U.S. Um, because I have that experience. And so, you know, the, the first time around, I had gotten a Chamber of Commerce book from the Netherlands, and I literally, this thick book must have been 500 pages, I think, I don't know. And literally highlighted every company that I wanted to work for. And, I mean, it was hospitality. Um, I mean, it was every industry. It was CPG. It was Nike. It was um, all the big, big companies there that were based there. And fortunately, Amsterdam has a lot of international presence um, with major companies. And so there was a lot of opportunity there. And nobody wrote me back. I sent my resumes to them, obviously, through the mail. So snail mail, you know, never comes right straight away. So it wasn't a time where, where everything was being done through email. And so I was kind of disappointed in the fact that I wasn't hearing anything. And so I kind of gave it a break. And I, that's when I kind of went into retail for a year. And I was like, this is not what I'm going to be doing. And so I packed my bags. Uh, a year later, and I said, okay, I'm going, job or no job. Ironically, Nike Holland had sent me a letter back saying that they would want to meet with me. They didn't have a job, but they wanted to meet with me. And so that was, oh, I was all in. I was all in. And so I moved out there um, with no intent of what I wanted to do um, other than have that interview. And the first thing that they told me was, I'm so sorry, you don't have any experience. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to get experience if no one's willing to give it to me? And I kept at it. You know, back in the day, it wasn't recruiters or headhunters. They, it was really about, you know, temp agencies kind of more from that perspective over there. I think it, the company was called Manpower. And I told the guy there, I was like, I want to work at Nike. I was like, I had an interview. They told me I didn't have any experience, but I really want to work there. And so he tried his, you know, his best to get me in there. And, you know, at that time I didn't think about it, but, you know, you can step in at a lower level and still work your way up. But I was so adamant about wanting to work in marketing that I wasn't going to take anything less. And I even moved right behind the EHQ office um, and said, okay. This has to be good juju. If I live here, I'm going to get a job there. And unfortunately, it just it never worked out. And so my career journey was really different uh, than I had expected and started working at Tommy Hilfiger. Um, I had done some odds and end contract jobs um, at Cutter and Buck for a little bit and Ferrero Auger, but nothing really resonated with me. And when Tommy Hilfiger started their EHQ office out there, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there. And they had a merchandising job and obviously no experience again and didn't get the job. And so I started thinking, okay, I did advertising. How am I going to get in front of these guys? So I put my resume on red, white, and blue paper. And I have no idea how he read the blue, uh, the text on the blue paper because there's no way he could have read that. <laughs> and um, I sat with him and I was like, I asked him, I was like, how'd you find me? And he's like, 
well, your resume. And he's like, you put it on red, white, and blue paper. Can't miss it. And so that's really kind of where I was like, okay, I, I'm on the right track now. And I got the job. Um, it was the three of us. He was a, a British guy, uh, Ben Simmons, good and great guy, um, believed in me and really gave me the opportunity to, to grow there. And the other guy was a German. And so really learning at that very young age still very much about cultural differences and personalities and, and that everybody kind of has their own thing. And um, I really learned a lot at Tommy Hilfiger. Um, it kind of became a little bit of a Dutch company there. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of international influence. And back in the day, Tommy Hilfiger wasn't that great in the U.S. And really having to try and def define who Tommy Hilfiger was in Europe. And it was really about, you know, the prepster wanting to be like Ralph Lauren. And Europeans loved the all La Americana kind of attitude kind of thing. And um, so it really resonated well with the, the various countries there. And so, you know, I did a lot of different things, did in-store programs for over 2,000 retailers. But the one thing that I enjoyed the most was um, the launch of the golf collection there. And it really kind of reminded me that, that Nike was still kind of the place that I really wanted to go. And I enjoyed being part of that opportunity to, to launch the, the golf brand there. And we did a kind of a Ryder Cup idea with the celebrities. It was the first one and worked with IMG. And I was like, oh my God, IMG. And made me think of um, Jerry Maguire and show me the money. And I was like, all right, I want to work for IMG. And, you know, I was, all these things were kind of going in my head, like I, sports, sports, sports. And, um, you know, that that's really kind of what resonated with me. And then um, I had done so much at Tommy Hilfiger. I was like, like Jabari said, once you've done everything and you're like, okay, I'm not learning anymore, it's time to move on. And so, so I did, and I moved to a Dutch fashion house and again, gave me new opportunities, you know, to produce photo shoots and worked in various countries all over Europe to do those photo shoots. And, um, it was a pain in my side to, to do a lot of that, um, a lot of different personalities, but I loved bringing the whole creative aspect together and, you know, gave me again, new opportunities. And, um, there was not a time also where golf was kind of being influenced there a little bit. And so I had arranged an opportunity where we would be the clothing sponsorship for the Kalem open, which was one of the European, um, tour, like, um, tournaments that they had there. And, you know, again, the whole sports aspect came back to me. And at that time I was, you know, 35 and uh, I was thinking, okay, what do I want to do? Do I really want to stay here in Europe? Um, a little backstory is that I was only supposed to stay in Europe for three years because I was on a green card and I had lost my green card two weeks prior to 9-11. And so it kind of changed my whole dynamic of, of living in Europe and moving back home. And so I was kind of stuck there. And when I was 35, I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move back home. And so my parents looked into it and the immigration office told my parents, well, it's going to take seven to nine years probably before she can come back. And I was like, oh, Whoa. yeah, that, that's extreme. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Very extreme. And so I was, I was devastated. And, um, two months later, um, have you be that Nike calls me and wants to meet with me. And um, I don't know how it happened, but I'm so thankful for that day. And I remember, as you both know, um, Nike likes to do fun activities. And one of the um, activities they had out there was um, having ice cream out, you know, on campus. And um, that was my interview. I was having an ice cream with my future boss and another colleague and I was like all right this is great this is this is life at Nike and um, I got the job I was working in the brand design team with Andy Walker which I'm sure both you know who he is and mm -hmm. David Odesanya another great name and um, worked for David David was leading the team there and um, it was a great opportunity I was working with 
various project managers and working with amazing creatives like Gary Horton. And um, it really kind of gave me a different perspective. It was finally like I was living and breathing everything that I loved. Um, that was sports. Um, growing up as a kid playing sports, it really just kind of defined who I was not from a personal perspective, but also from a professional perspective. And um, I really think that kind of took me to a different level. And 2009 came about, and I think both of you were still there or were there at that time. And it mm -hmm. was the big reorg with the category offense. And yep. I was put on the global football marketing team to lead World Cup 2010. And I will say that that changed my life um, for various reasons. And that team was split um, in WHQ with more the strategy team. And then EHQ was more the creative team um, as well as retail. And I was the only marketing ops person at that time in EHQ. So I was able to really kind of work with the creative team a little bit more closely than the other um, team. And Liz Christensen, veteran of 30 plus years at Nike, was my mm -hmm. boss. And she, she was amazing. She was not only an amazing mentor, but she was an amazing friend as well. And um, so I got to work on really amazing projects, um, one of being the um, Nike Training Center. And that was a 10,000 square foot facility down in Soweto. And it was built, I think, in six months. And every day counted. So mind you, they were building this in the end of summer into the winter when obviously the, the weather permits kind of all kinds of crazy opportunities. And when I went down there, we met this beautiful building completely empty with nothing in it. And we had an amazing team down in, in Africa, South Africa, working on it until we got there. And I went down there with Andy Walker and Kevin Coatman and Sean Pearson, who was the architect. And we spent six weeks down there um, transforming that building into a beautiful masterpiece. Andy always calls it the jewel of the crown of the Write, Write the Future campaign. But when you have the ability to see the executions that we did down there, um, you know, we did a 5,500 ball ball man um, in one of the local malls um i think it was probably about six stories high and you know the digital team worked with which was jesse's team um jesse stalick's um team he um they had ma major digital kind of you know the the football players were on these these buildings and it was just an amazing experience to see everything come to life um, from that perspective and I think the most amazing part of this all was was working on the Nike Training Center. The Nike Training Center was um, a facility for kids in Soweto and surrounding communities where they would be able to play on the pitch with the newest Nike gear, learn about their heroes from all over the world. But most importantly, it was about learning life skills um, specifically learning about AIDS and getting AIDS testing. And, you know, Nike, what Nike's great at is about giving to the communities. And it was a sustainability opportunity for us as a brand to be able to give back to this community. And what I know from speaking to people who are still down there is that that facility is still working. And as you know, both know, when there's an Olympics and they build all these amazing stadiums and, and various buildings, they never get used again. And so that was always my fear is like, are they not going to use that facility anymore after five years and once Nike is out? But fortunately, it's still there and it's still thriving. And um, I always call it my greatest success story of my career because it was all about community and all about giving back. And then um, you know, fast forward, I had expressed interest after World Cup to move back to the U.S. And, and Liz was instrumental in that. She, she knew that I wanted to move back. My mom was 
diagnosed with cancer at the time as well. And so it was really important for me to, to get back home. And um, back, I think, December 2011, I was moving back to, uh, to, to the U.S. and moved to Beaverton and was put on the Nike global Nike sportswear team. Um, which at that time was being led by Mariano Zumba. And, um, and then Gino Vicinati came on board. And um, that's really kind of when things changed. You know, we all know Gino, Big Bear. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, he likes hugs. He's a great guy. Um, loved working with him. And, you know, we actually worked on the V is for Victory campaign as well in Europe together. And um, that was, you know, sometimes... People don't always see what all the work um, is being done behind the scenes, but that was quite of a controversy um, campaign that we worked on. But, you know, Gino really kind of took sportswear to another level. Uh, at that time, athleisurewear was kind of um, just beginning, really, and sportswear was kind of the, the stepchild, I feel like, at Nike at that time because it didn't really have a place yet. And so um, I think what all came together was product came together, marketing came together, and we worked on the Nike Tech Flash, Nike Tech Pack, um, which was that fleece, that comfortable, um, breathable fleece. And, you know, that was a 17-athlete campaign. Jesse, I think you actually worked on that one too, didn't you? Yep. And um, it, was, it was quite an amazing campaign to work with. It was a worldwide campaign with 17 athletes from sports, from tennis to uh, football or soccer, if you want to call it that. Also American football, um, basketball. I mean, it, it was an amazing experience. And that ended up being, I believe, the best apparel launch to at Nike to this date still. And so, you know, I think... That's kind of that was kind of my last hurrah at Nike um, because I left Nike back in two thousand end of two thousand thirteen um, to move back to Texas and um, you know that's really kind of when when it kind of sank in what I just gave up um, I gave up my dream job and um, you know it was hard to leave I felt like I was homesick for a long time and you know then. Um, I moved back and I didn't have a work visa at the time. And um, so I wasn't allowed to work. And then um, I had, had established already a green card at that time through my now ex-husband. And um, so I took probably about a seven month break and really just wanted to get back to work as soon as I could. And so then I started looking for different opportunities, and Fossil came came on my my radar a little bit. They were hiring for various positions. It was contract work, and I started there as a contractor and kind of moved my way from working for the Armani brand up to the Michelle brand, and really kind of started my career there with that brand in particular, and. That's kind of how I ended um, as well. Um, I ended up doing the 2020 campaign. And unlike any other, was um, the opportunity that I got to conceptualize and execute, produce. I mean, you name it, I did it all. Um, I was a team of one. So I was able to, to do all of that. And then 2020 rolled around and I got what Megan Carly's son calls released from Fossil. And that's when, when life changed for me. So thank you for taking us um, on that journey. Um, I've got a lot of questions for you, but um, I wanted to just kind of go back to the transition from Nike and, and coming home. And um, is it okay if I ask you um, what led to that decision? I mean, you, you had mentioned that you were homesick and, and was that it? So... I got married, and so I moved back to Texas. Um, that's what brought me back to Texas. Um, I w I've always been homesick for Texas, but I was also, when I left Nike, I was homesick for Nike. Um, I think everything that I loved about working for Nike, um, I just kind of missed everything. I missed the people. 
I miss the work. Um, you know, I got back into sports at, at Nike as well. I started running half marathons and I started doing triathlons. I did a half Ironman. Um, and that, you know, it just, Nike reminded me of who I was, not just as an adult, but as a, who I was as a kid as well. And it, my whole life really is, has always been centered around sports. And I think like the journey that you've gone through has been, is amazing because I think a lot of people can relate because when they do hear certain stories, I think from other people, it's a, I don't think they hear the the kind of like the challenges that they've gone through to accomplish to where they get to um, and so forth. So I think your, your story is amazing, number one. Number two, would love to know because you were in um, EHQ, uh, then to WHQ within, within Nike, um, what were the cultures like between those two? Were they similar? Were they a little different? How did they kind of, how did you experience those two um, opportunities? So because I was living, you know, I spoke the, the Dutch language and I, did, I never grew up there, but I always felt like the oddball out. Even, you know, I, I started playing field hockey there with the other Dutch people, but I never really felt like I was part of that nationality. I didn't feel like I was, I was Dutch. And so, you know, Tommy Hilfiger and McGregor were both really kind of Dutch brands, um, not brands, but Dutch companies. And once I settled into EHQ, I was, I felt like an expat again. And I felt like who I, I remembered who I was and why I loved, um, you know, what I just loved about America and, and all that too. It kind of just all brought it back together. And I think the one thing that I really enjoyed in, at EHQ was all the different nationalities, all the different personalities, um, I think every, everyone brings a certain type of leadership, um, thought process, work ethics. And I found that the more international community was very much the same work ethic as, um, as what the Americans have. And so I, I don't think EHQ was very different from that perspective. But when I got to Portland or to Beaverton, I really felt like, I was living the Nike life. And I don't know if that was because of the campus. I think it was more about the people. I, you know, I was working with people who have been with the company for 20, 25 years. I mean, you know, I remember Liz telling a story that she was one of the, I think maybe first hundred people in the company. And, you know, there was so much, experience and love of sports, I think more at Beaverton. And I think that's really where I was like, yes, I have finally found the place where I want to be. And um, I would say that that's the biggest difference. And, you know, at, at that time when I came, um, there was a lot of Europeans that were also moving in that direction. Um, and so, you know, Nike's really great about transferring people here and there every two years or changing jobs every so often. And so I think that also gives you an opportunity to, to work with a lot of different types of, um, of people. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people that I've worked with in the past move on to, to really great opportunities internationally just because of that. And, and I think that that's something that, mm, makes companies successful is when you're giving people within your company the opportunities to work in different regions to experience um, what those countries and regions are like because consumers are different all over the place. And I think having learned that international aspect of it um, really kind of makes you think differently when you have to think about marketing. For sure. And and so I think that's where Nike's success is. And I don't think there are a lot of companies out there anymore that, that have that opportunity to, to send people overseas or to bring other people to, to the States if their headquarters is here. And I think that's really where, you know, companies like Apple and, and, and Nike and, and other big ones, you know, I think 
they're succeeding because they have a broader perspective uh, on things. I think I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think it's it's the creativity is so broad and, and it, it's just so different. And it's like you said, it brings a different perspective because I think a lot of people who are able to travel within a brand or a company uh, like yourself who've had an opportunity to work kind of both sides of of two different cultures or many cultures, I should say, from other launch events, um, it just brings out more creativity. And, and um, I really appreciate how um, you brought into that kind of that story within let our listeners know that, you know, it's it's culture, it's, it's authenticity, you're bringing in um, a lot of aspects and, and you bring about great leaders who've been with the company and you're kind of learning from them. So, yeah. And you know what I think Nike is great at too is I think, I, I don't know the percentage, but I would say the majority of people who work at Nike have played sports. And I think that says a lot about leaders and how, you know, how they go about leading people or, or how you're, you're taught as well. And I think leadership is a lot like coaching from that perspective. And what I think at Nike really happened is the leaders there really encouraged you to push the envelope. And, you know, coach, coaching is not always a good thing. I mean, in the sense that what I mean by that is it's going to, it's not going to be all sweet and, you know, not everybody's going to be a winner and, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's like, people are going to lose. People are going to, are going to win as well. And so I think, um, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, what I found working at Nike and then my most previous experience is that you have you have to be pushed sometimes to think to think bitter, bigger and, and better. And you know, when they say no, keep thinking, keep going. You know, it can be kind of be frustrating at that time, but the fact of the matter is, is that you're being pushed to be better. And I think when you're getting leadership like that, you learn a lot more and you're willing to, to fight, um, to be the best. And I think that's what bothers me so much about the whole sport thing about everyone's a winner. Not everyone's a winner. Not everyone's going to be a CEO. Not everyone's going to be making $500,000. I mean, you know, but the fact of the matter is you never give up. You're, you're always working and you're doing your best. And so I think really that mentality at Nike really kind of has given me an edge to think differently about how to lead and, and how to be the best. Yeah, I think that that's a really key point that we haven't really touched on in any of our conversations is how coaching and that sport angle is such a critical part of the culture at Nike. Obviously, coaching for excellence, you know, and perform the performance review process and all that. It's really based around that kind of idea. Um, and obviously, there are really great coaches. There are people who develop into great coaches, and then there are people who have challenges with that. Can you speak to, obviously, you kind of spoke to this, the folks, you know, specifically that you were able to work with as your mentors. What types of you know, leadership qualities that they have that really resonated with you that 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 you took along with you on your journey as, as you moved through your career. Yeah, so you know, I think a lot of that had to do with working on World Cup 2010. Davide Grasso was leading that the charge for the team, and we all know Davide. I mean, he ended up becoming the CMO at, at Nike as well, and you know, he he wanted the best. I mean, we did not become the number one f football brand after World Cup 2010 for no reason. We really set the bar of where we needed to go. We, we took the number one spot again from Adidas after that. We were not the official sponsor of World Cup 2010, yet we were able to, to own South Africa at that time. And, you know, the, the fans, um, the consumers, they were all seeing that. And, you know, that's the thing. Consumers don't see what, what happens behind the scenes. And sometimes, you know, when you look at the creative, and I've worked really closely with the creative team. I mean, we sat on a, at a pod together, technically. I, I sat next to Kevin Coatman and Dona Abouf, um, 
And then I was looking straight at Gary Horton. I mean, we're, it was the, the six of us at a, at a table um, working on World Cup 2010. And, um, you know, I think that's really kind of as well where um, I learned how to think like a creative and to really understand that, you know, you're looking at something and then, you know, Andy was really hard on that a little bit in the sense that he would tell some of his teams like, no, keep going, change it. And, you know, even Davide would change it. And, and that's the thing is you just kind of have to pick it up and and start over and, and just do it. And at the end of the day, the creative that came out of it was amazing. And even though it was a pain to start over, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think you really kind of see the, the evolution of where it was to where it is now. And, um, and I think that's what makes great leaders is, is willing to say, no, I, you know, I know it sucks at the time for the people working on it, but I do believe that um, it does get the best out of you at the end of the day. And I think leadership like that is, is transformative. And, you know, I, I, try and take those learnings, um, from Nike, um, to new places. And not everybody's accepting of that, unfortunately. And, um, especially at a company that where you're told that, um, you have to appease to a certain audience that works there, um, and let them be the boss almost. And, you know, those are just people beginning in their career. And that's hard for me to, to realize when someone's telling me that, like, you know, I want to grow these teams. I want them to think better and to think bigger and to, you know, think out of the box. And, and that's where I think a lot of that mentality of everyone is a winner. That's just not the case. Um, You have to be able to be open to being challenged um, to be your very best. And I think that that's really where, you're going to excel in your career is if you are open to that. Um, let's let's stick with that the topic leadership because I think that's a big one for a lot of people as well. Is because I think there's a lot of thought leaders. There's a lot of leaders. I think um, our last podcast, Melvin Lindsay stated that there's like different types of coaches, right? Um, there's you know kind of like the loud speaking coaches. There's this empathetic coaches. There's kind of the strategic coaches, and I think. Um, I'd love to ask you because yes, no one can always be a winner. Like you said, I'm agree. I I totally agree with you on that one. I think everybody has to learn that there's a process and there's their own path for you, but you, you can't just, you can't be a CEO. Not everybody can be a CEO. Like you stated, um, would love to know like what kind of key attributes are you looking for as well as how, how you're trying to emulate, um, in leadership. And even if you're with your experiences at Nike to even maybe Tommy Hilfiger and even Fossil. Yeah, I think the attributes of, of a leader that, that I think is important is someone who's empathetic, um, who understands where you're coming from and what your goals are. Um, I've, I am someone who always feels that, you know, being able to, to be give that extra push. Um, I had a, I had a coach, um, she was not my official coach, but she passed away last week and it just made me remind me a little bit about leadership. And I I do feel leadership is a lot like coaching from that perspective, like I've mentioned. And she told us to, to play fair. And you know, that, that's, that's one thing I think, um, that I have found most recently, um, was that there was a lot of politics and I think when leaders get into the politics, then they are, they get lost in the shuffle and they don't see the bigger picture and, and where the real talent is as well. And so I think from that perspective, I think, you know, when she said play fair, it's, it's about like, you know, everyone, everyone's going to play fair. Everyone is going to get the same chance. You just work hard and you're going to get there. And I think that for me, from a leadership perspective is also really important is to, to see the talent and see where, where the potential is for most important, most importantly. And then she also always said, value your teammates. And I think that right there says everything about leadership is, you know, and I think from, from Nike, at least when 
I was there, it was all about collaboration. Everybody worked together. Um, I worked with Nathan Chang and I was talking to him not so long ago. And he, he said, you know, everybody has a function on the team. And once one person doesn't contribute to that function, then the team does not win. And, and I think that that's really kind of thinking about it from that perspective is too. It's about collaboration, um, valuing, uh, each other. Um, you know, we live, we live in a big time of, of bullies and, um, I've been bullied and ironically, a lot of them have been women and, um, they were leadership, um, roles too. And, and, and that's the thing it's, you know, um, looking at from that perspective is, you know, there, there are people who are going to fight to, to get your position or they are jealous of your position from that perspective too. And I think it takes leaders to, to see what's happening, to be able to change that. And that did happen to me where initially, um, you know, that person ended up leaving the company because, you know, they were not playing as a team from that perspective. And I think that leadership saw that and, I think that's what makes great leaders is being able to recognize where the potential is within your team and who's the weakest link, but not necessarily um, from a, there's, there's different perspectives of that. So, you know, are they a team player? Are they contributing their part to, to the game um, as well? And, and then, I, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I just think with like team players, um, a lot of these leaders today um, that I've seen, and I'm sure you're you're seeing it as well, Monique, is is they're trying to be more empathetic. They're trying to be more of a listener and kind of understand that everybody who is a part of that team has their own unique strength, and and trying to let them handle that strength and utilize that strength and kind of let go, almost in the sense, not your hand doesn't always have to be in the cookie jar, right, <laughs> making right. decisions. And so um, I think. You nailed it. it. Is that a great leader is definitely that aspect of, of those attributes that they have now. And it's more understanding, I think, than anything versus it's not one way or the other way, but it's just we got to just all work together and, and, and make it work together. So. Yeah, and I think every company is different, too. I mean, um, and I think that's where, again, I think the fact that there were so many athletes at, at Nike, I think they understand the aspect of working together and, and coming to a common goal. Um, at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. They, everybody wants to, to have the best campaigns or um, the best results from that perspective too. I mean, that, that should be the end goal, right? Is working on it together. Absolutely. Talk about the training center in Soweto, and, and you know, obviously, that was an experience that really stuck with you. And, and you know, we've talked in the past just around the volunteer work that you're doing now. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and sort of maybe how that experience really kind of led you to looking for those opportunities now at this point in your career? Yeah, you know, um, like I had mentioned earlier, um, the Nike Training Center was definitely. Um, my greatest achievement. And I, and the reason I say that it's not necessarily about, um, the work it's, it's about really what it was about, I think, and giving back to the community. And so, you know, look, moving fast forward a little bit, but also kind of going back way back to when I was a kid. Um, when I lived in Brazil, I would be picked up by, um, a VW bus, um, with probably about 12 other kids in, in the, in the van. And, um, he would drive us past these favelas every day going to this Dutch little private school. And I remember one day that I looked out the window and I saw this little kid, my age, standing there in their underwear with nothing else on staring at me. And I, you know, those are things that, that just kind of never get out of your head. I mean, that, that will always stay with you from that perspective. And I think when I went down to Soweto, I, it reminded me of that moment of, of what life is in different cultures and in different, you know, socioeconomic, um, 
lifestyles from that perspective. And so, um, you know, I had a conversation with my mom um, before she passed and um, I'm not able to have kids. And so I, you know, I told her, I was like, well, what should I, you know, I want to be able to give back to kids and, and do something because, you know, I haven't been able to do that um, in my life. And she, she had mentioned different things. And after she passed, I, I really thought about that. And um, so when I was thinking about it, I, I kind of looked back to my, my past and I reached out to the North Texas PGA, the CEO there, and I told him that I wanted to, to volunteer. And he was like, uh, we don't really do that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, just I'd be happy to help in any, any possible way that I could. And so he ended up connecting me with one of the girls who was leading the Fairway Success Program there. And that is a program that awards scholarships to students based on their academic performance, their extracurricular activities, um, their financial need, um, as well as what they're doing in the community. And it gives these kids a four-year $20,000 scholarship. And this is working with inner city kids. And I thought, perfect, this is exactly what I want to do. And so I started that last September, and the school that I was volunteering with um, actually lost their school to the tornado that hit last year in October. I think it was last, last week, a year ago. And I was like, oh, you know, these kids already come from, from, from nothing almost. And then they get the fact that they have to leave their school to, to go 13 miles to another school. It was really hard to see that and the challenges that they had to go through that. And when I was so-called released from my job, I was still doing this, this, this volunteer pro program with them. And it came to the time where we had to evaluate the students um, from all the various schools. And so I was looking at, you know, the kids that I had met throughout the year and I started reading their essays and I also looked at their socioeconomic background. I mean, some of these kids come from families that don't even make $15,000. And, um, you know, I, it really hit me really hard and, you know, I was crying when I was reading these and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe I, you know, they, you would never know that from these kids because they, they are so driven. These are some, some of these kids are first generational college students and some of them are first generation high school students. And, you know, and that, that's the thing. It, it really kind of just triggered me to, to think differently. And so, um, I was trying to think, oh my, you know, how is my personal and my professional purpose coming and aligning together? And it, and it wasn't aligning the last five and a half years. It definitely aligned at Nike, um, but it wasn't aligning recently. And so I thought, okay, I've got all the time in the world now. I, you know, I'll be searching for a job, but I want to be able to give back. I have worked, you know, so much of my career and I have not done anything to give back, I felt like. And, um, and so I was like, it's time. And so I went to a women's leadership symposium and, and met um, some various women at various nonprofits in the Dallas area, one of which is Brian's House, which is in West Dallas. And they help the community with, with families who have special needs kids. And that was something that kind of resonated with me at Nike as well. Um, because I remember volunteering there for the, I guess it was kind of a special Olympics kind of that Nike had set up. And you mm -hmm. both know Bill Browerman says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. Yep. Um, and so, and that's something that I thought about, you know, when, with this particular nonprofit is, you know, these kids have their own disabilities, but, you know, what can we do to help these kids? Um, you know, and, and I'm still just slowly starting to, to think about their marketing opportunities. But, you know, what can I do from a sports perspective as well for these kids? I remember, you know, seeing these kids at, at Nike during that day and just how happy they are. And, you know, I think that's really what it is all about is just 
putting a face on a kid's face. And one of my friends mentioned, she's like, well, what about Mercy Street, Dallas? And, you know, I hadn't done much research on that one. And once I did, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I start with that earlier? Um, they are a faith-based organization that focuses on um, leadership, um, mentorship, and then also sports. They have an amazing sports complex that was donated to them from various donors, from the Texas Rangers to some private donors as well. And you would never think of this. Um, West Dallas actually is um, one of the, I think it's the, well, it has 34% of the population is living below the poverty line. Um, and I think 51% of the, the high school kids actually finish school there. Um, so those numbers kind of really triggered me to think differently. And I, I really feel like my, my journey there was because of sports. Um, I do feel sports is, a, is an integral part um, to the development of a youth. Um, youth sports was always something that I wanted to do at Nike, but just unfortunately never got, got to do. And now I'm kind of doing it on my personal level, um, to be able to give back from that perspective. And then a lot of research I've looked at the Aspen Institute and all the numbers that they give. And, um, I just sometimes get so frustrated by what I'm seeing. Um, I think one statistic was that you know, for most families, $700 is what it's going to cost them for their child to play, whereas some people are spending $35,000 um, for their kids a year to play sports. And there's so much disparity from that perspective. And, and what I really want to be able to do for Mercy Street is to be able to find ways that the kids there are able to play the sports without having to worry about the financial means to do so. Um, and I remember when I first got there, I was, there was a, a sports camp. It was specifically for football. And, you know, I saw a little kid with basketball shoes playing football. And I was like, ah, oh, this can't, this cannot be right. And then I made me think again about Nike Training Center and how Nike sponsored, you know, the newest and the best gear for these kids to wear. And, you know, I'm just trying to figure out ways, what can I do to help this this community, um, to be able to give these kids the opportunities that other kids in the, in the world are getting to. Um, and I think really that's kind of what my mission is, is to really find ways to, to help this organization um, in ways like how Nike helped um, the communities out in South Africa. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love just what you're doing now. Um, I'm a big, or I'm a huge believer of giving is, 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 something that um, is necessary. And when we bring back leadership, giving is actually what you're receiving. <laughs> you're receiving more, um, you know, as you're giving more. And uh, I'm a big believer in sports as well, as I know Jesse is too. And especially with like those kind of statistics, you know, and, and like all children should have the opportunity to play sport for, I mean, you never know what sport they'll love, but let them give them the opportunity to play. So yeah. for, for what you're doing now, I'm a big advocate for you, obviously. Um, I think Jesse and I are as well. And uh, just know that um, continuing, I'm finding a, your mission to, to help. Um, just know that we're both on your side and we'll do what we can to help out as well, if we can. So. Well, it was kind of... Interesting. Um, I guess when I was, um, when I had time to think about all, all this stuff, I was like, what can I do to, to start a program where you can create grassroots programs to help inner city kids to, to play sports? And um, it's still a dream of mine to figure that out. Um, but I thought, well, who better to do that with than with my Nike peers? And I think there are ways of, of going about it. And I, I still have a big dream to be able to do something like that. Um, you know, even if it's maybe not a nonprofit or whatever it is, but, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, at, at Nike kind of has that same goal. It's like, how can you give back? I mean, 
the numbers of kids playing sports is continually declining. And I think that that's, that's very dramatic in my opinion, because of the skills that you learn um, as a child. Um, you know, it's not just, it's not just the coaching. It's, it's the, the skills of being able to play with other people and to, to understand that, you know, losing is okay. And, and it just makes you resilient and it makes you come back and fight. And um, it's, it's all those those learnings that you learn as a kid that you take that throughout your professional life. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe because I've played sports, I came out of this, this layoff, you know, opportunity differently than most people because I'm, I'm, I'm a thriver. I, I, I figure it, I figure it out. I'm going to work harder and, you know, um, looking for a job is, is not easy. It's, um, I, mean, I would say it's probably a bigger job than, than, than having a job from that perspective, but it's also a great opportunity to, to network and meet people. And John, I know we kind of connected this year as well for the first time. And, um, I, I mean, what you and Jesse are doing, I think is amazing. Um, I think you're giving a lot of different perspectives and learnings from, from really great people, um, that you've already spoken with to help the younger generations kind of take a different perspective on, on, on their own careers. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, we're, we're definitely, you know, Jesse and I have always said when we started this, we just want to put out uplifting, good, different perspective content. Um, as you as a guest, it, it's, it's great to hear leaders like yourself, to hear your story, what you're doing. Um, I think there's a lot of challenges ahead within our, um, within, within our country, but, you know, we're, we're doing what we can to really be uplifting um, and, and support any way we can. And, um, yeah, though you and I just met, I mean, again, this year, I, I feel like no matter who I meet, even though we've been at Nike for such a long time, it's more like the first conversation or first email that, of interaction. I, I just felt like I, we already know each other just because we know the same people and so forth. And so yeah. I think that's the, that's the one thing that I love about Nike and the alumni is just that there's a there's a common bondship that we all have together no matter if you're no longer part of Nike or if you're still with Nike. That's um, absolutely right and actually that's why I love the wing women so much um which is ex Nike women. I mean um organizations like that are instrumental in in just you know I've met really great women that I didn't work with in the past that I've learned now and who've become mentors to me, um, in different ways. Um, you know, I think that really kind of sets it apart and, you know, you spoke with Jana earlier as well, and she's really working on that ex Nike alumni network. And, and it truly is it, you know, when you speak with someone from Nike, it doesn't matter if your past crossed or not you still speak the same language. And I think really that's what it's about. I mean, it's a secret sauce. Nike has the secret sauce. <laughs> well, I, well I feel like we do. It's just a matter of how we, how we use it. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're all here to help each other. I mean, look what, you know, Jabari and Julian Duncan are doing. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's little things like that. I, I mean, I mean, you, you both are doing it. I mean, everyone is like coming together at some point and, and they're, they're making a difference. And I remember Musa on one of those um, calls one night said, you know, how are you going to stand out and show up in 2020? And, and I look at what everyone's doing and I'm like, yeah, you know, and they're all Nike people. So, you know, it, that's really kind of what amazes me is, is, just the entrepreneurial aspect of, of everyone that has come from, from Nike. Um, everybody wants to, to think bigger and do better. And, um, and I think that's really what, what Nike is really all about. It's all about the people. It's not necessarily about the job. It's, it's about the people that you meet there. 100%. Awesome. Um, I think too, just like to go, Back to a question that we ask our, our guests um, is to like kind of go back to, and I'm going to point a period of time for you because I just really kind of resonated with me when you were coming out of college and you said that you were lost and you were trying to 
figure out what you wanted to do next. As you looking back at your career and the experiences that you have had, if you could give that Monique advice, um, what would you what would you say? I would say when I told the guy that I wanted to work in marketing at Nike, I should have just said, just get me in the door. Um, I'll work my way up. And I think that's, that's really kind of the thing is it doesn't matter where you start. It's where you finish. And, um, you know, I think you guys say it best. There is no finish line. And um, I think that's really kind of what I wish I would have done is, is I wish I would have just started somewhere and worked my way up. And, you know, my goal was Nike and, um, you know, that, that's the thing. You just have to start somewhere and don't look at a title. It's not about a title. It's about the worth and the work that you're doing. Um, you can be, you know, at, at any level within the company and still contribute in a really big way to, to the end result. And I think, that's really what it's all about. And um, I've had to fight um, a lot at the time for promotions and um, opportunities to, to move around. And I think that's where Nike obviously was great at, at doing that. And, you know, um, you know, I just don't give up. I really, I truly think that that's what it is. And I guess it goes back to my sports mentality too, is, is really just keep on going and learn as much as you can and be open to, to trying new and different things. Um, you know, I, I think about now as well, um, you know, it's, it's tough market out there. I was like, do I want to continue on with marketing or do I want to try something different? Um, I've already thought about three different things that I want to do, which I'm not going to do, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think you grow as a person uh, professionally and personally, if you keep asking for more, um, always ask for more, I think is really kind of the thing I would say that was a big takeaway is, is don't ever get bored with what you're doing. Always try new things and ask for more things um, to be, to become better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. It's, it's, I think that's great advice. Um, and so, uh, well, first, thank you again for being with us uh, in this kind of like our first year. We, like the people that we have on our podcast is is important to us, and the reason why we ask people um, to join is because of their who they are and, and the uniqueness they bring. Um, and so, I'll give you. Uh, I'm going to give you a shout out. If any brands are listening, looking for opportunities, or want to pick a creative brain, definitely uh, connect with Monique. Um, I think she's just um, one of those leaders that gets it. And so, yeah. Thanks, guys. You know, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know y'all over the last few months better. And um, I, I'm very honored to, to be amongst such great, talented people. I, um, I stay in, in awe of all of them. So I really appreciate you adding me to the list. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously, I get that you were <laughs> intimidated coming into it, Monique, but it, just, it was really great conversation and just really appreciate everything that you're doing to give back to kids and to your community. It's super inspiring. It's inspired me a ton, and um, I think it will inspire our listeners too. So um, thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you so much. And if y'all want to start um, a youth sports thing, let's get together and talk about it. <laughs> Do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Monique. Bye. All right. Well, Thank you. Y'all have a nice day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.